I'm Jess. And I'm Betsy. And we are VM Scope. Today we are here with Laura Rosewell. Um, so welcome, Laura. Thank you very much. Um, so firstly, can you tell us about your route of qualification, how you became an RVM, please? Yeah, so I actually, well, my route of qualification is essentially completely backwards in that I originally thought I wanted to be a vet which sounded great until I got halfway through my A-levels and realised what I actually wanted to be was a nurse. And a vet didn't do what I thought they did, and then that's what nursing really was. I have to admit, I'm the same. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah I went to work experience and I was like, I don't want to be typing on a computer yeah, all day. No. Yeah. I want to be the one that's caring, not diagnosing. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Thing. So I realised that halfway through my A-levels, uh, left my A-levels and got my first job as a student nursing practice at 17. So I went along the MBQ route. But part of me had always still wanted to do a degree, so I did end up going back and actually doing a degree after I qualified, but yeah, I'm at MBQ Nest. And what was your degree in? I did, um, I actually did my or? advanced nursing diploma, oh, nice. and then off of the back of that I did a top-up degree, so it's a Bachelor of Science in Advanced Veterinary Nursing. Cool, and which institution did you do that with? I did that with Harper Adams University, Harper Adams. Um, just straight after the dip APM. And then you've been in practice ever since? Yeah, so I started, well, probably about the first half of my career was in first opinion practice with a small break in referral. So I did, uh, the practice I trained at, I was there for about three years. That was a um, quite small first opinion branch practice that was attached to a larger hospital. And then after I qualified there, I went to a referral centre as a uh, orthopaedic surgical nurse, uh, which was very interesting. Uh, it kind of cemented in my head for me that medical nursing was kind of the way I wanted to go. I'm, I'm not very comfortable in a theatre, I'm definitely an out of theatre kind of girl. So I went back into first opinion practice uh, to a larger hospital where there was kind of more exposure to a wider variety of cases uh, to finish my dip avian and it was there that I kind of decided that medical nursing was something I wanted to pursue. Um, so that led me back into referral in a more kind of specialised vein as a medicine nurse. Was it, was it somebody in particular in the practice that inspired you to want to study medicine further or was it just something that you'd, you decided? I just enjoyed the sort of nursing. Because you know sometimes yeah. you, you look up to someone in practice and you think, oh, you know, I really want to be like you. <laughs> I think it wasn't necessarily someone so much in the practice I was working in. It was more the exposure to the cases and the patients with the massive variety of different diseases and different conditions and how complex they are and how you can't just have one patient with hypothyroidism that's the same as the next patient with hypothyroidism because one of them might have kidney disease and the way you manage them is completely differently. So it's it was much more kind of individual for each patient and that's something that really kind of sparked that fire in me. There were definitely people along the way who did inspire me. They weren't specifically doing medicine though, so one of them, I think, kind of goes without saying for most of us nurses was Louise O'Dwyer. Um, and when I did my dip AVN, she was actually one of my tutors um, for a large portion of that, and she really made me kind of want to specialise within nursing, but not obviously through the same routes that she chose to. She was, I must say, very inspirational and one of my inspirations yeah. as well. Yeah. Nurse girls for everyone, absolutely. Yeah, indeed. So obviously you decided that you wanted to specialise in medicine. What was your favourite aspect of medicine? Oh, see, now, 
everything really but that's the cop-out answer isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so for me there's so many different aspects of it that I enjoy but endocrine disease is a big one um gastrointestinal disease I most people do not like gastrointestinal disease mm. but and I know everyone jokes it, it's just playing with poo all day in medicine <laughs> but there's so many different kind of spectrums within GI disease where nurses can really make a huge difference to those patients like respiratory patients are another one oh, there's so many hematology and transfusion medicine is another big passion of mine anything that needs a blood transfusion I'm generally there what do you enjoy talking about I know you do a lot of lectures and and talks what of those subjects do you enjoy the most would you topic? say talking about I think endocrine disease and transfusion medicine are my big favourites. I think with endocrine patients especially, nurses can make such a massive difference to those patients, not just when they're in the hospital, but for the rest of their lives. And they're really patients where I think that nurses have a lot more potential to get involved and that will make a huge difference to um, patient care. And with the client as well. Yeah, I think definitely. I think such a big commitment for clients, isn't it, dealing with their, their animal that's got some sort of chronic disease. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, providing the support and like the education to yeah. them as well. And often these are these are clients who are going to have to turn their whole lives upside around. I mean, you look at a, a recently diagnosed diabetic patient; these clients are going to have to completely change their lifestyle. And there was a study done at the RBC a few years ago, which looked at the um, different factors that were involved in the client's perception of diabetes. And out of all of the um, different factors that the clients noted that they were concerned about, only one of them was actually to do with the animal, which was worrying that they would have a hypo all of the other factors were things like what am I going to do when I go on holiday and how am I going to get insulin injections into my pet and how is my relationship with my pet going to be affected and all of those things are concerns that nurses can alleviate so I think we have a, a real big role to play in these patients definitely. So in terms of specialising in an official sort of manner um, where did you go from there once you had had a few years under your belt and you knew what you wanted to pursue? Sure, so originally the BTS was kind of never my intention and actually before doing that I wanted to kind of have a more of a higher level all-round knowledge so I did choose to do the dip ABN for that reason and con uh, concentrated mostly on medicine but also did surgical modules and anesthesia so then I felt that that gave me kind of a, a good baseline level in medicine to then look at specialising further. Uh, like I say originally that was not necessarily my intention when I first went back into kind of specialised practice but I was working with a really awesome team of specialists who were really really encouraging and they trusted me to do a lot and get involved with a lot and so I, I acquired quite a lot of kind of advanced skills through that and that led me to kind of see, hang on, I could do this. This is something that I'm kind of already on the journey towards achieving. So it kind of then became a real goal of mine when I saw that I just had to do a few more skills and get a few more things ticked off before I could be in, in a position to really work hard on that application. And can I just go back? So the dip AVN, how mm. long were you qualified for before you decided to do that? I qualified beginning of 2010 and I started the dip ABN beginning of 2012. Okay. So you, at the time, I'm not sure if it's still the case now, but at the time you had to have been qualified one year before you could apply for it. So I was qualified for about 18 months, did that application, and then that took about six months then before my enrolment started. So then that process took three years. I've qualified, I finished my DIP ABN end of 2014, um, cool. and then went straight on to do a top-up degree, which finished in 2017. And you felt ready to do that, you didn't feel that perhaps more time in practice would have benefited you in any way. You knew what you wanted to do and, you, and by the time that came round, you were 
you felt equipped to do that yeah advanced qualification whilst with the degree and the dip AVN they were done on top of time in practice so I was working full-time in practice when I was doing those and um, the first well all of my dip AVN was while I was working in first opinion practice and then the last bit of my degree was when I had gone into um, internal medicine kind of specialty practice so I was already kind of gathering the experience and carrying out the skills in practice whilst I was finishing uh, my, my degree so I'd kind of already, I was in the mindset to study, I had recently finished the degree, so at that point it, it made sense for me to kind of keep that train rolling rather than have a break and then potentially struggle to get back into writing and things again. Sure. You've been very busy, it sounds. It? Yes, I haven't really stopped. <laughs> From the moment that you qualified, so you had the 18 months, but then... It's just been study ever since, really. Yeah, I'm enjoying having a bit of a break from that, yeah. though, I must say. Yeah. I think people um, do worry about how much work these are, these extra qualifications mm, are going definitely. to be on top of their full-time role as an RVN. Yeah. How can you can you add anything there with regards to advice? or? You think, well, but like having a work-life balance while studying and working full-time in practice, do you mean? Yeah, so I think a lot of, a lot of RVNs worry about studying for advanced qualifications whilst working in full-time roles. So can you add anything there or give any advice with regards to the advanced diploma that you did and how you managed that whilst in practice? Yeah, definitely. So I was really lucky in that the practices I was working in throughout the whole time I was completing my DIPAVN and my degree were very supportive. And in some of the practices, I was part of the out-of-hours rota and at the hospital I was working at at the time, when we did out-of-hours, we stayed in the practice for the weekend in the on-call room upstairs. So on top of kind of when there was a break in clinical work and when all the cleaning and kit packing and everything was done and I had a couple of hours, I could utilise some of that time to do some of the study, which was really helpful. But I mean, the dip ABN and the degree, the university set as a guideline, they expected to be kind of an average of 10 to 15 hours a week of study on average on top of which is an awful lot it is a lot it is a lot but I would say that that's it that's a rough guideline it wasn't something that I found to be completely true and I would say that really averages so for me there would be times where I wasn't able to to do much other than skim read the notes that had gone out for that week and then when I was preparing for an assignment there were definitely times where I would set aside a day to do my writing but I always made sure that I scheduled myself like one day off or like an eve- a couple of evenings off where I wasn't picking up the notes, I wasn't sitting down with my laptop at all to have that kind of mental break and I think that definitely helped. But it's definitely possible and I think it just takes kind of planning in advance wherever possible and just looking at what shift you're on and how you can even just fit in, even if it's like half an hour on your lunch break to read your notes for that week or you know, 20 minutes over a cup of tea upstairs to plan out bullet points for this chunk of your assignment and um, just find the time wherever you can but try not to put too much pressure on yourself yeah shall we move on to the vts qualification then yes so can you explain to our listeners what the vts qualification is in general and then the vts in medicine yeah absolutely so the vts is a veterinary technician specialist is what it stands for and it's an american qualification it's Currently, the States is the only country to offer that qualification. So um, anyone international, wherever they're in the, in the world you are, 
you need to travel to the US to, to do the exam currently, um, they're the only, it's kind of the only option for specialising that's currently available to us as nurses. There's a number of different VTSs that you can achieve and they're run by a number of different academies. So you can get a VTS in surgery, anaesthesia, ECC, oncology, cardiology, uh, laboratory work, clinical practice. So there is a VTS for people working in first opinion as well. It doesn't all need to be nurses in referral. There's a number of different ones and there's more kind of coming all the time. So there's endless options for, for nurses in practice to pursue this if they wanted to. It works a bit differently compared with kind of the more traditional qualifications, I would say, that we do in the UK, because you're kind of doing all of the work and then submitting it to them as an application, rather than enrolling on a specific course and being sent content to look at, etc. So essentially what you do is you spend a year completing your application and then you submit that to them and they review that and if that's successful then you're invited to go and sit an examination and once you pass the examination that's you becoming a VTS and you join that academy as a member so I did my VTS in internal medicine and I'm now a member of the Academy of Internal Medicine for Veterinary Technicians. The application itself varies between specialties because they are quite specific to the discipline you want to specialise in but they're all generally made up of the same kind of content so you will need to submit proof of your qualification, proof of the number of hours that you've worked in the specialty, proof that you've done a certain number of hours of CPD in the specialty. Uh, you need to submit letters of recommendation from ideally either VTSs or specialists in the area, or if they're not available in your practice, then in a related area. You then need to complete a case book that uh, is a year's cases, so it's 50 to 75 cases um, for my specialty, definitely, it was 50 to 75. That might vary for other specialties. Um, demonstrating the practical skills that you have done with, the, with those patients over that year. And you select four of those cases to write up as uh, detailed case reports demonstrating the disease process, uh, your role as a nurse, all the diagnostics that you've done, etc. And then on top of that, there is a skills list of advanced skills which uh, specialists need to sign off to say that you can perform competently in practice. And what sort of skills does that involve? Again, it varies from specialty to specialty. Mine was 50 skills, and it was a range of things relating to internal medicine. So there were a few on anaesthesia of medicine patients. There was lots on different laboratory tests. So demonstrating a knowledge of different protocols for diagnosing Cushing's disease, for example, um, different coagulation tests, different GI function tests. There was questions on things like bone marrow biopsies, blood cultures, uh, endoscopy, placing feeding tubes, urinary catheters, blood transfusions, cross-matching, blood typing, uh, arterial blood samples, and things like recumbent patient care and nutrition. So mine was a, a real variety of skills all relating to internal medicine, but they do vary based on what you're applying to. Yeah, they sound very varied. Do you have to do them a certain amount of times or does your clinician just sign off that they've witnessed it? How does that? They need to sign off to say that you're competent in them. So again, each specialty academy will have a definition of what they consider to be competent. So generally that means that you need to be able to perform the skill independently uh, and it's repeatable that you can perform that consistent, consistently and in a range of species. So for most of the VTSs, that's cats and dogs. They need to see that you can do that in both. There are some specialties where there are exotics, um, but they're generally their own VTS. And I have looked at the skills list before for 
medicine, ECC and anaesthesia personally and I know that there's some skills on there that we don't perform here Yes. in the RVNs wouldn't be allowed to perform and how, how do they get around that? Yeah, that's a really good point because in the States that um, technicians can do certain things which we can't do because of Schedule 3. So for example, on my skills list, cystocentesis was one of those skills, which obviously is something that I can't perform. Um, so you don't have to have 100% of the skills. Uh, and again, this varies from academy to academy, but generally you don't have to have all of those skills signed off. So for the small animal internal medicine one, you need to have 80% of the skills signed off so that was 40 out of 50 skills and then of those skills 50% of those as a minimum had to be cross-referenced to your case log so that year you had to demonstrate that you had performed them so that gives us some leeway as UK nurses because generally there's only a small number of skills that we can't perform due to schedule three so for the medicine BTS that was only one skill out of 50. Okay and in terms of aside from having your case reports and things like that you mentioned that you have to be working within your specialization mm. so what is the requirement for that because i know that there are they're quite strict on hours and is yeah. it over a three-year period so the exact requirements vary from specialty to specialty for the internal medicine specialty you had to have a minimum of three years in practice as a a veterinary technician or a registered veterinary nurse and you had to have amassed uh, a minimum of 6,000 hours in internal medicine with four and a half thousand hours of that as a minimum in your subspecialty. So the internal medicine VTS actually encompasses a different variety of VTSs within that. So oncology, cardiology, neurology, large animal and small animal medicine are separate VTSs that are all under the umbrella of the internal medicine BTS. So I had to have performed a minimum of 6,000 hours in internal medicine with four and a half thousand of those with small animal internal medicine. So what does that mean for somebody who, let's take an RVN who's working in quite a busy hospital, mm-hmm. not a specialist practice, but a um, first opinion, busy hospital, maybe a second opinion, and they're looking to do the VTS. What, what do those hours mean for somebody in that situation? Um, so there is a form on the AIMBT website which allows you to kind of calculate the number of hours that you've worked based on the length of time you've been at your practice and the percentage of your caseload which is in the specialty. So I followed that when I worked out mine. I You can count any hours within the last five years towards your application, including your application year. So with mine, I had, I think it was three years at... 90% of my caseload as an internal medicine nurse in the referral centre and a further two years with a caseload of about 50% of my time in internal medicine in a first opinion hospital which had quite a high medicine caseload and combined that 90% in referral plus the time I'd been in first opinion I had well above the minimum hours that I needed for the BTS application so I think the hours calculation can look quite daunting and because it's quite maths it was something that really freaked me out during my application I was really paranoid I was going to get it wrong but I think it it looks daunting but it is easier to achieve than it than it appears to be right did you have anyone to help you with through that to guide you through it 
thankfully, yes, I did. <laughs> so um, what I would say, and this is the same for any VTS, so if anyone is interested in doing a VTS, definitely reach out to the academy that you're interested in applying for, because all of them have a mentorship programme. So what you should generally do, or what I personally did, was I first of all submitted to them my intent to apply, so I told them to expect an application from me, and I got in touch with the director of the academy and I asked to be assigned a mentor. And I was really lucky, I had a UK-based um, mentor, which was really helpful because she understood the extra pressure that being an international nurse kind of has on this application. Yeah. And she kind of guided me through the process. So she was an internal medicine uh, VTS who helped me with my application. And then thankfully for me as well, in the hospital that I was completing my application at, the head nurse was an ECC VTS. And one of our uh, anaesthesia specialists had helped her with her application. Right. So I already had someone in the clinic who had a VTS but in a different specialty and a specialist who had already got a nurse through the VTS process. So, so a huge support, helped. support system for definitely. you. Definitely. But even if you don't have that in practice, the academy um, is there to help. So definitely get in touch with them and they can also help you. I think that's good for people to know because yeah. it can be very daunting. And I think oh, definitely. not many people know about the VTS and how it works. Yeah. So I think gradually more and more people are starting to um, kind of apply for it. So... Yeah. I think it helps to know that they can reach out, get a mentor and and then Absolutely. kind of work it out with somebody. And even if you, you're not ready to submit your application that year and you're not in the stage where you want a mentor right now, there are, there's so much support out there. So there's Facebook groups that UK nurses have set up for nurses who want to specialise. And there's also Facebook groups for internal medicine, ECC, that people have just set up because that's their area of interest. So there will always be people to help you. I get a lot of messages from people who want to know more and want information about how to apply, but they're not sure if they're ready to do that right now. And then off of the back of that, they so I had someone last year that reached out to me, and this year they're actually completing their application and I'm their mentor, oh, wow. which is really nice. Yeah. So yeah, even if you don't want to do it right now, there'll be so many people out there that will offer to help. Great. So you've done your application and you've submitted all of your case reports and everything. What happens next? The exam. Yeah. Tell us about it. Well, first of all, you wait very anxiously yeah. <laughs> for a few months until you know if you got in or not. And then after that, it, it seems a bit daunting then because you kind of realise that, oh, in six months' time, I'm going to the States. And before then, I need to learn all of medicine, ready for a big, scary exam. And it can be really daunting. So we were really lucky in our application year, actually. First of all, I was really lucky because there was someone else from the UK that got accepted. And by complete fluke, we booked on the same flight. Oh, really? So we ended up travelling together, which was really, really helpful. And um, she works at Anderson Moors, actually, so she's okay. not too far away. And we met up a couple of times before the exam, and we did some studying together, which was really, really helpful. The other thing that we did was, when you passed your application, the academy, or certainly my academy, asked if we were happy for our email addresses to be shared with the other applicants. And off of the back of that, several of us got together and we set up uh, a study group over, like it wasn't WhatsApp, but like a online messaging. And we were able to use that to kind of panic at each other at times, ask each other questions, revise together. And then when we got to the States to do the exam, we already knew each other and we caught up, we revised together before the exam, we went over to do the exam together and we're actually still friends now oh, and we wow. keep in touch. So if anyone is at the point where they're kind of getting ready to do the exam or anything, definitely reach out to the other applicants and work together because you're all in the same situation and it's, mm. it seems really scary at that time. So just get together and kind of 
try and avoid that and get get dispel that fear and just use that to uh, yeah, to kind of drive yourselves forward. But generally, in terms of revision, it can be a bit daunting because you don't really know where to start. How and then, support, how, where was the guidelines? Did yeah. they? How much support did you have with regards to? You know, was there a syllabus? Was there a kind of actually? <laughs> it was. It was good. So the for me, the AIMVT website had a knowledge list, which was a list of different diseases that you could be asked questions on. So I used that to kind of plan my revision. And then in addition to that, they had a domains list, which was essentially where they looked, they broke the exam down into X many questions about anaesthesia, X many questions about AMP, X many about pharmacology, X many about diagnostics, that sort of thing. So I could kind of use the knowledge list in combination with the domains list to work out roughly what percentage of the exam would be on what. And I could kind of guide my revision based on that. But it still worked out that quite a hefty disease list of potential things they could ask you about. It's still a massive amount of things to revise. I think it was over 100 kind of sub-diseases. So what I actually did was, um, first of all, the moment I submitted my application, I think I had a one-week break where I didn't think about it, and then I immediately started revising. Because I figured that even if I got told my application wasn't successful, I've only gained knowledge. I've not really lost anything. And if it was successful, I've got a bit of a jump start on some revision. So I looked at how many weeks I had to revise before the exam and how many topics I had and then kind of made myself a, I'm a bit of a nerd, I quite like an Excel (laughs) spreadsheet, even better if it's colour coded. So (laughs) I kind of just made myself like a little revision timetable of all of the different diseases Mm -hmm. fitted in with the amount of time I had. And then some of the more weird and wonderful ones I would specifically spend a bit less time on because I knew that there was probably less less chance of a question coming up because of the percentages they were probably going to ask you about the bigger stuff. So I just used that to kind of guide my revision, really. And was it multiple choice or long answer questions? The exam, for me, it was four hours. It was one four-hour paper. It was all multiple choice. And it was a combination of internal medicine, like small animal internal medicine, and a few general medicine questions. So that's another thing. If anyone is applying for... I can only talk for medicine really because that's the one I've got experience with but for me because it was there's like an umbrella of different VTSs within AIMVT they asked me a few questions about the other disciplines because they also want you to have a knowledge of general medicine as well as your specialty so I made sure to do a bit of cardio revision a bit of neuro revision and a bit of oncology revision as well and the list, the list is just growing. <laughs> it's a little bit. But it was something like, I think we only had two questions on cardio, two on neuro, two on oncology. And then the remainder of them were more pertinent to my specialty. But they want to see that you've got a good background in general medicine as well as um, your specialty, really. But it was all multiple choice. Uh, yeah, one for Literally four hours solid. Yeah. Wow. And it's in the States, they seem to start everything really early as well. And I, my exam was in Phoenix in June. So it was boiling hot and... We, I think our exam started at like 8am or something like that was the time wow. it was starting so there's us the, the purpose of that is that all of the coffee shops open at like 5am so we're there at like 6am <laughs> nervous wrecks in Starbucks by the example not being able to eat anything hurriedly like with our faces in textbooks last minute questions at each other but yeah so we went we walked over together to the example and it was a four hour paper but if you finished earlier than the four hours you could leave you weren't shut in there for the whole four hours so we had already arranged, we'd picked the bar we were going to, basically, <laughs> okay, it finishes at 12, that's fine, that's allowed, we're going to meet at this bar, as soon as you're finished, get there. So we'd already, like, 
do the exam once you were done and you didn't want to sit there and change your answers or do anything like that we'd kind of just you make our way out to the bar go and order some cocktails so yeah wow and then how long do you wait so I think it was six weeks I think they said up to eight weeks it seemed like the longest time it seemed like so much longer than that honestly the exam was the beginning of June and then I got my results I think the exam was the 4th of June and I got my results on like the 10th of July or something so it was just over a month it's so much pressure. Not only is this a big qualification, but you're travelling to the US to take this Absolutely. exam. Did you make a holiday of it while you were there? I didn't, and I actually really regret that. So I, I did get there a few days early, especially because, um, so this the state that the Congress is in, the exam is held at the ACVIM Congress, so the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine. And the state that that Congress is at changes each year. So when I went, it was in Phoenix, Arizona, and some of the other guys that were there, they were going off to see the Grand Canyon and doing all of this stuff. And for me, any moment that I wasn't in my hotel room before the exam studying, I felt like if I fail this, I'm going to regret that so much. Yeah. And so I think I, I went the other way and I did too much studying and I probably should have spent a bit more time seeing the sites and getting a bit more immersed in the local culture. But I knew that if I failed, I would, you would have, have absolutely yeah, regretted that. Would be well, you passed. <laughs> yes, so congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> so what now? Yeah, that's a big question. So when you become a member of the academy, it's kind of an ongoing process. So you recertify as a VTS every five years, and you can do that through a, a variety of different ways. You can, if you really want to, go and sit the exam again to recertify, which I'm hoping I don't have to do. So the other way that you can do it is through a combination of kind of giving your time to internal medicine and teaching, writing, mentoring people, uh, reviewing applications that come in for the committee. So I had a bit of a surreal moment back in October when this time last year I was nervously waiting for my approval. I'd, I'd submitted my application and was sort of sitting there scared, wondering what was going to happen. And then this year I was reviewing an application for the first time, which was really surreal because 12 months prior to that, there was little nervous wreck me waiting anxiously for my result. So reviewing can also count towards um, recertifying. So now the fun stuff begins, I guess, because it's kind of an ongoing process of helping to kind of shape internal medicine nursing, particularly in the UK, because there's not as many medicine BTSs in the UK as there are obviously in the States. I think there's six of us now, right? Yeah. Um, which is awesome, but it's definitely a lot less than, I think ECC is the, mo- is the busiest kind of BTS discipline in the UK. There's the most ECC BTSs. So we have a real opportunity to kind of help drive medical nursing forward in the UK at the moment, which is what I'm trying to do now. Indeed. And I see you're always booked for those are talks and presentations and are you enjoying that aspect? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's nerve-wracking. It wasn't something that I would have necessarily always set out to do from thinking back to like student days and before I'd made the decision to kind of specialise. I was always someone who kind of sat at Congress and looked up at those speakers and thought, oh, wow, like I can't believe they're up there doing that and now it's kind of surreal because I'm the person who's doing that, which is really odd but definitely um, a real honour for me and it's really nice I think it's just nice to engage with people and get people more passionate and I think we are at a really really good time in the profession right now where nurses are getting more recognition and we're starting to potentially be able to do a lot more and the RCVS are putting in lots of great um, initiatives like VM Futures to get us doing more in the future so I think that it's only right that we can kind of inspire nurses to get more involved in practice and to look at advancing their careers in specific areas if they want to to kind of help with that.
Yeah. And alongside doing all of your talks and CPG sessions and things like that, you have started an Instagram page yeah. and you're quite popular on social media. So it's at Vet Internal Medicine Nursing. Is yeah. That right. Yeah. Um, and so what is your aim with that page? I think just to raise awareness of internal medicine kind of as a more dedicated specialty. For me personally, when I think back to practice before I'd kind of gone on this journey, it struck me that I didn't really know what a medicine nurse did because I did a lot of inpatient care or you had like anaesthesia and surgery or some people like diagnostic imaging and stuff. And I think I didn't really recognise that medicine is kind of a cross between so many of those things. Mm -hmm. So like me as a medicine nurse, I spend a lot of my time doing inpatient care and doing that kind of side of things like some of the ward stuff, but also doing a lot of diagnostic imaging. For me personally, I'm um, CT trained, so CT scanning is something that I can do, fluoroscopy and things as well. So you have quite a heavy role in imaging, also endoscopy and anaesthesia. So medicine nursing kind of spans the whole practice. So it's easy to kind of miss it as its own specialty because it's kind of hiding in amongst everything else, if that makes sense. So for me, I just want to raise awareness of medical nursing as something that people can pursue further should they want to. And also, I think, and certainly in my experience, there's less kind of structured CPD available to people in medicine at the moment versus when you look at how many people do like Vets Now certificate or the Improved certificates or the DIPAVN or whatever. There's kind of, it strikes me that there's sometimes less content on internal medicine versus kind of some of the other more popular things like anaesthesia and ECC. And I think that's really changing now. Like Improve have just brought out a medical certificate last year and the BSAVA have a merit award. So there is more out there, but a lot of people I think aren't necessarily aware of that. So anything I can do to kind of help people focus their interest if that's what they want to learn more about. I think um, a lot of nurses find your posts very very useful and the content that you that you put out there is amazing I just want to ask how do you find the time yeah, how, do you do <laughs> how, how do you find the time you're working full-time um you're a speaker at a lot of events mm-hmm. um and then and then you run this page how do you organize your time well it is a bit of a juggle and I I think I'll be the first person to say that I probably haven't got the work-life balance thing down completely yet. Um, And I do find myself doing a lot of this, spending a lot of time doing it, and it can be a bit of a juggle. But I think what really helps is that creating the content and doing all of that, I really enjoy. So a lot of it, even though you're kind of using your brain and it gets a bit mentally exhausting, it doesn't really feel like work because... I, I like a lot of that stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I did, I did quite a lot of like website design and graphic design before nursing. So okay. for me, it's kind of something I've always enjoyed anyway. But now I get to kind of combine two things I really like and bring sets. them together. Indeed, yeah. yeah. Aside from as Betsy's just listed all of your <laughs> nursing hobbies, um, what's next for you? Well, I think just to get more involved in engaging nurses with medical nursing and to do more writing and speaking. I also volunteer with a couple of other organisations which keeps me very busy so I volunteer with ISFM as a member of the editorial board for their journal Feline Focus and I get quite involved with ISFM because I will confess to being quite a crazy cat lady, (laughs) kind of cat whisperer in practice I guess you could say and I also volunteer with BSAVA on their journal as well, Companion, so carry on doing that and getting more nurses involved with kind of writing is another big passion because I think there's this big myth that 
nurses kind of can't really get involved in writing articles and stuff like that and we absolutely can um, so yeah. I definitely want to get more nurses involved with that and I think in addition through all of this and the social media stuff it's kind of made me realise that there's so much opportunity for us to get involved with pushing the profession forward and that's something that I've found really rewarding through doing a lot of this so I would like to potentially look at running for BVNA council to potentially get involved with these on a more profession-wide level, particularly with things like having a BTS might be a good opportunity to look at, is there an advanced nursing status where nurses who've gone and done some of these additional qualifications can actually do more in practice? Because right now, because of Schedule 3, my BTS doesn't change what I'm actually allowed to legally do. Although it's given me a lot more kind of skills and knowledge and I'm really grateful for that, it doesn't physically change what I'm allowed to do legally in practice. So could we potentially look at a way that there's an advanced nursing level which allows nurses to do a bit more and get a bit more out of their careers? So I think getting involved with something like that would be really helpful. I think that's really important because I think I've spoken to some nurses that kind of feel, well, actually, what is the point in me doing these additional qualifications and putting in all this time and effort um, when, you know, how recognised am I going to be for that? Am I going to be allowed to do more things in practice? So I think, yeah, it's a, it's a frustrating area. Definitely. I think it has allowed me to do more in practice in terms of my relationship with clients, which has been a, a big thing for me that I've been really, really grateful for. Certainly now I'm in a position where because I've been doing more with clients and getting more involved with helping them day to day as they adjust to kind of having a pet with a chronic disease or getting more involved with them just long term being that source of support, it's allowed me to kind of build those relationships with people and I think having the level of knowledge that the VTS has given me that allows me to have those conversations with clients and kind of have, not my own clients, but see clinics and things, that's been really, really helpful. And now I have clients that even though we don't, I don't work in the practice where I saw them before and their animals not with us, I still keep in touch with them just because we've developed that relationship. So I guess that's one area where the VTS has allowed me to do more than I probably would have before. And it's been rewarding in that yeah, sense, absolutely. I suppose. I guess it's helped sort of confirm your confidence and knowledge in that Definitely. topic as well, hasn't it? So yeah. you can use that and you feel a bit more confident to um, share that with others. Yeah. Just going back to you discussing being able to do more as a nurse and things like that, do you mm-hmm. feel like it is developing? Definitely. Um, with the development of you know, the different master's programmes and things like that. Absolutely. Whether in the future there's sort of room to develop a nurse practitioner role, you know, like they have the uh, development for human nursing and paramedics yeah. and things. They've got quite a, a structured framework mm. for development and your performance and how you can perform more tasks, etc. Um, so I do feel like it is moving forward. Absolutely. I think it's a really, really exciting time for the profession. And I think, you know, we've got some really great people steering this forward and the VM Futures Project is doing really, really great work. So it's a really, really exciting time for us as nurses. And I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing how that develops and looking forward to a stage where we can kind of do more than we are currently in practice. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. We really, really appreciate it. And we hope that 
our listeners have learned loads about the BTS. Um, how can people contact you if they have any questions? Yeah, absolutely. So if anyone has any questions about medicine in general, any BTS, anything, um, you can get in touch with me, uh, obviously, either through my Facebook and Instagram pages. So as we said, my Instagram handle is at Vet Internal Medicine Nursing, or if you just search for Veterinary Internal Medicine Nursing on Facebook. Um, and then also you can contact me through the website, which is veterinaryinternalmedicinenursing.com. Um, and then my email address is on there. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.